Twitter used by physicians, especially pathologists, continues to grow. Twitter provides an easy-to-use communications platform for rapid education, news, and networking that helps busy pathologists stay engaged and informed. Many pathologists see the benefits of joining Twitter but are unsure about how to get started. In this CalCast, Drs. Sarah Jang and Jared Gardner discuss why pathologists should embrace Twitter and how the social media tool has benefited their careers. Drs. Jang and Gardner will be leading a CAP-17 workshop on this topic entitled The CAP Foundation Pitches Program on Medical Ethics. Get tweeting a hands-on interactive Twitter primer for pathologists on Monday, October 9th. So let's begin with why pathologists should embrace Twitter as a tool for their practice. Dr. Jang, can you start us off? Absolutely. I know as pathologists, we're all so busy. There's so much to keep track of, you know, world news, news in medicine, keeping in touch with our colleagues. And Twitter is a great tool because it's bite-sized and it's real-time. And we can use it in these little moments of downtime to stay informed and network in a really powerful way. Dr. Gardner, what's your perspective on this? I totally agree. I think one of the things that I really love the best about Twitter is the people that I get to meet, not just here in the USA, but all over the world. And I think after I've done this for a few years now, that's been so amazingly uh, fulfilling, I guess, to meet these wonderful pathology colleagues and to be able to interact with them. And then some of them I've actually met in real life when I've been traveling for meetings, and it feels like I've known them forever, like we're old buddies or something. And I think that's just a really fun part of it, and it gives us an ability to build an international uh, collaboration and network that used to take people decades of practice and going to meetings, and now within a very short time online, you can know amazing pathologists all over the world and interact with them on an almost daily basis, which is just incredible. Now, Dr. Gardner, what are the privacy and ethical issues one should consider when using Twitter? Well, I think that they're actually not that much different than the same kind of privacy and ethical concerns that we have to think about in our daily practice. And basically, Twitter is kind of a very, very public elevator. The same rules apply. You don't talk about patient identifiers. You don't say things that would potentially be upsetting to other patients and would be violating of their privacy. You know, I think a lot of pathologists, a lot of doctors worry about that. Like, how do I know that I'm not going to commit a, a HIPAA violation or a privacy violation? But I think you really just need to treat it the same way you would when you're out and about in a non-private area. You, you just have to keep those same things quiet. And really, a tweet or a, a post on Facebook or any social media is really not that much different from an ethics perspective than publishing a case report in the peer-reviewed literature. The same kinds of things that are acceptable to publish in the literature would be acceptable for social media from an ethical perspective because the peer-reviewed literature is accessible to patients. They can go to a medical library and get a copy of it and look at it. So those things aren't protected sites. And I wrote a paper actually with uh, Eve Crane last year in the AMA Journal of Ethics, and we really go into the details of the ethical issues and how to really be sure that you're protecting privacy. So for people who want more in-depth information, they can go and take a look at that. It's freely available online. Okay. And Dr. Jiang, what are your thoughts? I absolutely agree with Jared. Eve and Jared's paper is a fantastic resource for considering the privacy and ethical issues. And a great rule of thumb that I like to use is if a patient could ever look at a teaching case that I post and say, you know, that's my tumor, that's my case, um, my information is being disseminated, I would say, you know, that's not an appropriate case to post. And I think social media, like Jared says, can be intimidating because it's unfamiliar to many physicians. Thinking about ethics and protecting patient privacy are really foundational and built into how we practice medicine every day. Social media is a tool like any other in medicine, and we just need to use it with the same judicious approach. Now, I'd like to hear from each of you about what pathology-related tweets you follow. Dr. Jane, can you speak to this? 
Oh, I follow so many fantastic people on Twitter. Um, one of the first I have to mention is the Pathology Journal Club that um, Jared and I and a bunch of other really fantastic people got started. So that's path underscore JC for Pathology Journal Club. We meet once a month to discuss interesting articles from different journals. It's a really fantastic opportunity to not only information on the latest and greatest in pathology, but also share practice patterns. And so um, I highly recommend that everyone checks that out. It happens once every month, and we're um, going to start out with an international PathJC component as well to include the uh, international community in the discussions. I follow a lot of my societies uh, at Pathologists. Of course, I follow CAP, as well as many of my journals. So things that are, for instance, like archives of pathology, I follow as well. And there is a hashtag that goes with the Pathology Journal Club, isn't that correct? Yes, exactly. The handle for Pathology Journal Club is path underscore JC, and the hashtag is path JC without the underscore. Thank you. And Dr. Gardner, who do you follow and engage with? Yeah, I follow like 7,000 people or something, so quite a few. There are so many amazing pathologists and, and even non-pathologists that I follow. Actually, one account, uh, one of my favorite accounts is not a pathologist. It's iHeartHisto. Um, he's actually a PhD in anatomy and histology and posts just some of the most amazing path art, which is kind of pathology and histology-related um, kind of artistic work. Sometimes it's beautiful, sometimes it's funny and humorous, but it's a great way, I think, that it allows us to share what we do in a way that's more accessible to the non-medical public. So I really think that's a wonderful account, and I think that uh, iHeartHisto is just a, a cornerstone of the, the online pathology community, even though he's not a pathologist. And then for pathology, I really, for bone and soft tissue pathology, which is uh, my, one of my areas of, uh, of interest, uh, Brendan Dixon in Canada, he posts some absolutely amazing tweets and for dermatopathology, I love following Philip McKee, who's a mentor and a hero to me and to so many others because he's a, a main textbook author. He's retired, and even in his retirement, he's very active on Twitter and on Facebook in sharing cases and in helping to mentor the next generation. So uh, really a fantastic person. And there are so many other wonderful people. If you're interested, you can go to my account on Twitter and look under the little gear symbol, the settings, and there's a tab called Lists. And I actually have numerous lists that include, basically, I keep a list of every pathologist on Twitter as best as I can tell. Anytime I find a new pathologist, I add them to the list. If you're missing from that list, send me a message or tweet at me, and I'll add you to it. And then I also keep lists for Dermpath, for sarcoma, for all the different types of subspecialties and different things like that. So you can go through those lists, and it's a nice way, especially if you're new to Twitter, to find people to follow starting out. And that'll kind of get you started. Once you follow 50 to 100 people and get about 100 people following you, that's when Twitter starts to be really fun because there's enough people that you have a real an interaction that's going all the time. And every time you check Twitter, there'll be a new message or a new reply, and the conversation's very robust, and that's when the magic happens. Now, can each of you provide me an example of how Twitter has benefited your career? Dr. Gardner, can we start with you? Wow, I don't even know like where to start. I, I think it's totally changed and revolutionized my career and put me on a path I would never have been on otherwise. It's built an international community or following, I guess. For me, I have an international reputation already, and I've only been practicing for five years. And, you know, reputation is not that important, but if you're in academics, it's something that's expected of us when we go up for promotion and tenure. So actually, when I went up for promotion last year, I actually polled my followers on Twitter Facebook and Instagram and asked them, how would you rate me as a teacher? How would you rate my leadership skills? And 1,100 people responded to that survey in like four and a half days. 
So I had, and from 88 countries. So I had all this really in-depth data and all these really nice comments from people about how this was helping them help their own patients in real life. And then I submitted that along with my promotion packet to my university. Now they didn't say that that was the reason I got promoted, but I think that it, it didn't hurt probably that I had all that extra information. Absolutely. And Twitter has led to some speaking opportunities overseas for you, hasn't it? I've given, I think, 44 lectures, invited lectures about social media, not only about Twitter, but about social media in general in the past uh, four years. My very first one was actually at CAP 2013. I did a roundtable there, and it sold out. And the CAP said, will you stay and do a second roundtable the next day? And I did, and it sold out. And then six months later at USCAP 2014, I gave a practice changer session, which is supposed to be kind of a small little collection of people that come to hear about kind of an esoteric, uh, innovative topic. And there was standing room only and people were flowing. And I realized at that point, people really want to know about this. So I started speaking on it on a regular basis. And now I get more offers and invitations to speak than I even know what to do with. Then I was in Spain recently at the uh, SEAP 2017 meeting in Valencia. And uh, Eduardo Alcarez and all of his colleagues in Spain have been an amazing, really active portion of the online Twitter community. Actually, it was through that meeting and through some conversations there after I gave my lecture that inspired us to take the Pathology Journal Club Path JC and to start a Euro time version that Sarah was mentioning earlier, because they said, you know, we really want to participate, but the time zone issue, this is in the middle of the night for us. So we decided to have a second session of discussion about the same article the next day on a time zone that would work for most of Europe and Africa. And hopefully even the Middle East might be able to take advantage of it. So we're really hoping that we can expand the discussion. And it was through, the only reason I came to that meeting in Spain was because those people knew me through Twitter and because Eduardo, who's basically kind of like the Spanish version of me, I hope that's not an insult to him, but he's very active at preaching basically to all of his colleagues about the importance of being on Twitter, the importance of using social media, and he was the one who invited me to come to that meeting. And through that, I've had so many wonderful connections. So, yeah, it's, it's been a huge benefit to my career. And honestly, just so much fun to meet these wonderful people and to get to know them. I don't just count them as my colleagues, but as my personal friends, actually. And Dr. Jang, how has Twitter impacted your career? Twitter has been absolutely a launching pad for me as well. I've been in practice a little uh, less time than Jared has, but this is entering my fourth year in practice. It's been so fantastic for building my name. I'm also an academic, so of course I'm looking to get name recognition, network, and really get myself out there, and it's been fantastic for that. I've been invited to write papers, give talks, not only on social media, but on other topics as well. And like Jared said, most importantly, it's been this absolutely wonderful way to meet and really feel connected with pathologists all over the country, all over the world, who I would otherwise maybe not have met for many years. But now I feel like I have this wonderful network where if I have a question about what they're doing for eyesightopathology in, you know, Spain or the other side of the country, I don't pick up the phone. I just go to my Twitter network, say, who do I know out there? And there's this group of fantastic, engaged, energetic people who I know will give me an answer. And it may even lead to publications or other projects down the line. So it's been absolutely fantastic. Now, finally, are there other social media platforms that pathologists should consider using? Dr. Gardner, I know that you have an active Facebook presence, so maybe you could speak to this first. I use basically all social media, not really, but I use quite a few different platforms. I love each of them for different reasons. Facebook and Twitter are probably the two that I use the most and have been using the longest, but Facebook, I actually have a public Facebook page, which I recommend for every pathologist who's afraid that, well, Facebook is too personal. It's okay. You can have a personal account for your friends and family, and then you can use that to create a page. It's managed from your personal account, 
And on that page, you can post all your medical content. Basically, I post similar material on my Facebook page as on my Twitter account. And the reason I do that is some people use Twitter but not Facebook, and some people use Facebook but not Twitter. So I want to make sure that I share the information to the most people as possible to get that information out there so that it's helpful to the, the greatest number of people. So another nice thing about having a Facebook page is, is uh, well, there are a couple of nice things. The one thing is the privacy aspect. And the other thing is that it gives you analytic data that if you post on your personal Facebook account, you can see how many people like a post, but you don't really see how many people have viewed it, how many people have shared it. On a public page, you can get very in-depth, granular analytic data, which is really useful if you're using Facebook for an educational purpose. It's nice as an educator to see what kind of posts do people like, how many people are seeing these posts, is this the kind of material that people want to see. And also I have Facebook discussion groups, which is kind of how I got started in all the social media stuff, one for derm path and one for bone and soft tissue tumors. And then the other thing about Facebook I really love is the patient support group. So I interact with a lot of a rare tumor sarcoma patient support groups and working with those patients and being able to help them as a pathologist to answer questions about their disease and to help them understand the terminology and what we do. It's been so life-changing, not just career-changing, but really life-changing for me to meet these people and hear their stories and to be able to be a spokesperson and an advocate for their disease. So yeah, without Facebook, I wouldn't have had any of that. So I love Facebook. I also use Instagram. I've played around with Snapchat. I like to explore new things, but Facebook and Twitter are definitely the two that I consider kind of my stronghold. I have to have those. And Dr. Jang, are you on other social media platforms also? Yeah, absolutely. I love Facebook as well. I'm also on Instagram. Instagram in particular is great for pathology because on Instagram, it's all about the picture and we are in such a visual specialty. And so I'm a big fan of the Facebook groups. I'm very active in many Facebook groups as well. Certainly, I think one of the things that's so great about social media is you have the opportunity to really tailor it to your needs. So if you want to, like Jared said, have your own personal account and post pictures of your cats and food you eat, you can, but then you can also build a very intentional professional presence. And the analytics, not only does Facebook have analytics, Twitter also has built-in analytics. These are free. These are great resources if you're looking to see, okay, which of my posts is having an impact? What are people reposting? What are people really engaging with? And that's something that I'll address in greater depth. I'm doing a roundtable actually at uh, CAP 17 as well, specifically about journal clubs, analytics, and some of the kind of more in-depth, nitty-gritty fun things that you can do with social media. So yeah, I'm a big fan of using any and all platforms to share our knowledge and excitement. Well, thank you both again. If you are attending CAP 17, be sure to register for Dr. Jang and Gardner's workshop, the CAP Foundation Kytus Program on Medical Ethics. Get tweeting a hands-on interactive Twitter primer for pathologists on Monday, October 9th from 9.30 to 11.30 a.m. Registration is now open online at thepathologistmeeting.org. Thank you for listening and be sure to listen to our other podcasts from the College of American Pathologists on our SoundCloud channel at soundcloud.com forward slash pathologist.